Welcome to episode 14 of the podcast, Own It. I'm your host, Jordan Boditsky, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Nathan Learman. Nathan is a school and community presenter at Stigma Free Society. He is also currently enrolled in the kinesiology program at Capilano University in British Columbia. Nathan is a person who has worked hard to learn the skills necessary to be successful in life and proud at who he is, a young man who happens to have autism. Nathan has used determination and hard work to not let stigma, stereotypes, and adversity get in the way of his goals. He loves to keep active by running, working out, and walking in nature, which he has felt has made him stronger mentally. Nathan is motivated to shatter all the stigmas associated with autism. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Nathan. It's such an honor. Well, so I wanted to begin our conversation by asking you to explain what autism means to you and what you hope others can learn about individuals who live with autism on a daily basis. Well, autism for me means that I have to just translate the world differently as if it's like you're learning a different language kind of thing, because that's how it basically has to work for me, unfortunately, but it's not a bad thing. Basically, what I have to do for it is I have to get taught the social skills. So skills such as entering into conversations, eye contact, any social skills are a little more challenging for me. And for a lot of people, you learn them naturally. But for me, I have to get I had to get taught by therapists how to do them because it's like learning a different language. For context, it's like if you go on to Spain and you have to speak Spanish and you don't know Spanish, you have to learn the language. Um, sorry, what was the second question? Yeah, no problem. The second, uh, the question would be what you hope others can learn about individuals who live with autism on a daily basis. I just want everyone to know that there's not one type of person with autism, there's many different types. And I think that's an often misconception because sometimes people think, oh, the one person with autism, so all math people and they're all, oh, they're very like this one type of person. But no, you have people like me with autism who like sports, um, likes to run, but you have some people with autism who like art and you like have some people with autism who likes to write. You have some people with autism who are very social and you have some who aren't social. So that's, I think, the biggest misconception that needs to be broken, broken because of autism being such a various, such a, offering such a variety. Right. And I want to talk about, you mentioned your therapy and, and the process of acquiring and learning different skills, uh, particularly social skills, as you mentioned. When becoming diagnosed with autism at the age of two, can you speak to your experience with the therapy process you went through and how that has helped you today thrive and enjoy the amazing aspects that life has to offer? That's a really good question. I'm just going to take a deep breath and really think about it so I can provide the great, best answer for all of you on the podcast. No problem. Basically, what I had to learn was I had to learn the conversation skills of how to enter into conversation, for example. So what the therapist did was they actually provide steps for you to how to enter a conversation. Because a lot of us in the neurotypical world, I'm going to say, just do it naturally. You just see what someone else does and follow it. But for me, I had to get the translation. I had to get the steps of how to do it. For example, you had to go, okay, you wait for the pause, and then you enter in the conversation. And then when this happens, this happens, and this happens. So I had to get the social skills broken down for me. And I also had to practice social skills and practice conversation things and practice eye contact and practice things as like a sp- um, compliments or whatever. Because as I say, all these skills that, were, that are normal and easy for people weren't necessarily easy for me. And for life, it has helped me so much because it's allowed me to be like a normal 21-year-old in this world who just wants to go out, hang out with friends, go out, hang out, go out in the town, go on runs, do anything like a normal 21-year-old does. 
And I've also been learning the skills of how to challenge distorted thoughts, because those are th things that I struggle with. Sometimes where I will have a, such a distorted thought, but I have to stop it. I have to go, oh, this is very distorted. And I have to ask myself questions. And I'll give an example of a distorted thought I had actually for this podcast was yesterday, actually at my work, I had a distorted thought where I was questioning if anyone even liked me. So, but I had to, so for challenging, I would go, sorry, to challenge my thoughts, I have to ask myself a logical question, which I may not see sometimes, but it's very logical. So I had to ask myself the question of how long have I worked at this job? Oh, I've worked three years at this job. That means, oh, they like me. Oh, and that's where my brain has to connect the dots because sometimes if I don't challenge my thoughts, I get in a thought pattern of distorted thoughts and it just keeps going and going. And if the challenging doesn't work, I sometimes just have to go stop, we're done. Right. So those are the things I've had to learn from, I've learned from therapy to make myself a happy, healthy person. Nathan, I want to say, I mean, the, the, the fact that you can actually understand and, and process your thought pattern is, is really important. And, and the advice that you're sharing is really important for people to listen to, because it's such a natural thing for people to have these thoughts, where we start to question our self worth, and we start to question, you know, who are we friends with who likes us, what's, what is our purpose in this world. And so understanding as you're saying is very important. And I think that's, that's a great answer. And I want to talk more about the impact, however, about a social support network in supporting whether that be a child, family, or friend who is living with autism. Who would you say has played a tremendous social support role in your life, and what impact did they have on you? I'm, I'm going to say three different types of people. I'm going to say my friends, first of all, because they treated me as a normal human being and they didn't patronize me. And to a good, good example I think I should mention and clear up is I actually like when people are honest with me and they don't patronize me. And I don't want people to like treat me any differently just because of who I am. I want life to still happen to me. And that sounds funny. It sounds funny to say, oh, it's good to have challenges in life that come at you. But I actually think that's a really good thing because if life didn't throw any challenges ever, it would be saying, Nathan, you're not capable because you have autism. We're not going to throw anything at you. But my friends, I say, because they treat me as equal and they support me and they like me for who I am. And my friend group's very close and, and they've actually become open with their stuff too. Um, I would say my friends, I'd say my therapist, because they, 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 they're sound, not just a sounding board, but they've taught me all the social skills I need to be successful in this world. And they've supported me as I've learned the skills I need to learn. I would say my entire family has been supportive. And I would be lying to you if I said everything was rosy with my family, but it I'm 21, so of course there's things I have to work on myself, like being more open. But I'd say my family's been great and supportive because they've been supportive of who I am, and they've never let they've so they've never let me so they've let me be successful in what of becoming who I am. Um, I have a peer support worker. I actually been working with over the past year who's been helping me with the thought challenging thought stuff and a great sounding he's been a great sounding board he's let me just go through anything that comes up in life because honestly life is going to have stuff that comes up you're not going to say oh you've completed completed your mental health journey your autism journey no it's continual throughout life which means there'll be ups and downs and so that's been really helpful and anyone who's been supportive of me in general and you, people like you on the podcast, anyone I've spoke with or I've listened to in speeches, 
yeah, so many people I can talk about. Yeah, I have to say that your your story is really inspiring and, and your attitude is what is what really amazes me because you you know, you don't let something like autism stop you from achieving whatever your dreams or aspirations are. And that's really inspiring. And I think that's important for people listening to this podcast who may know someone who has autism or who has autism themselves, that you don't have to be treated differently and that you can accomplish whatever you put your mind to. And you're really a perfect example of that as someone who is passionate and who wants to go and help other people. And by coming on this podcast, you're doing exactly that. And it's really inspiring. So um, kudos to you for sure. I do want to transition now our conversation to talking about stigma and mental health, obviously, as this podcast is about. I want to start off by asking a more general question. That is, do you believe there exists a stigma toward individuals with autism? And if so, how may this impact someone's mental health? That's a great question. I think there has been stigma towards autism because in school, for example, in high school, people make comments like, oh, what, what, so if someone missed a basketball shot, someone would be, oh, he's autistic. Oh, so, oh, why are you so autistic today? And those type of comments, they weren't directed at me, but they felt like they were directed at me because they were making fun of me without them knowing they were making fun of me. And which made me take on this thing called internal stigma. It's a stigma where you judge yourself based on others, people's stereotypes around you or what you hear. And I took, I took on the stigma. I was thinking, oh, I, uh, being autistic or having autism is bad. Oh, no one's going to want me. No one's going to want to be friends with me. I'm this weird kid. So I took on this thing called internal stigma and judged myself heavily, which is why it took me until last year in January to admit to my friends, to my best friends and to other people other than my family and my therapist who I truly was because I had this idea that I was taking this to the grave. I was never going to mention it. But I have come such a long way since that point where I'm open about it on your podcast, talking about it, I'm speaking about it. And I think the, that impacts the mental health, the stigma and the internal stigma, because you can't explain why you're feeling more anxious. You can't explain why you're having trouble in social situations because you can't say, oh, I have autism because you're worried about stigma. So you can't explain why you're more stressed than other people. So I think that was the thing that was hard for my mental health because I never could explain oh why was I more stressed here what but now if you can explain you who you are you can say oh I'm I need can I need clarification here like a language as I mentioned earlier like the language sometimes you may have to clarify okay is this what they mean or did I mistranslate this but admitting who I am and being open about who I am allows me to do that where I can be up go up to my best friend and say hey this is what I think this was why I think they said, is this what they said? Or do they mean this? Because I still, and I still will misinterpret things. Right. And I want to ask you in regard to stigma as a society, how do you believe we can end the stigma toward those living with autism? I think we just have to treat them like, like humans and not treat them any less. And I'm going to be very clear about that definition because I think when people, people associate do, treating them like that is, patronizing them and not um, not allowing challenges to be thrown at them and not treating them like a human being. And I think, for example, if some people might think, oh, oh, if you've lived with autism or any other mental illness, oh, you should not have life challenges thrown at you. You should not have life events happen. You should not have, you should not be questioned. You should not have life events at you, thrown at you. But I think it's gonna sound funny on your podcast, but I think it's good to have life events thrown at you because it's life saying you're an equal human and you're a capable human being. 
And I think we just have to treat people with autism, mental illness or whatever as humans or treat them equally. Treat them as you would treat any other person that's um, quote unquote normal. And I do not like to say that term, but I'll just say it in that context. But yeah. And so I want to ask you, you know, all these messages that you're saying right now are so important. And this has obviously led you to getting involved with the stigma from society, as I mentioned in my introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to join this society? Well, this is going to kind of sound funny for your podcast because you've mentioned, I always ask the question of how has COVID affected you? But I'm one of those weird people that actually COVID's forced me to think of how I can be more confident as a person. Of course, I'd be lying to you if I said COVID was all rosy and beautiful for self-development because there's been annoying stuff with COVID too, but it's helped force me, it's allowed myself to slow down, like especially during the quarantine or whatever at the start of the pandemic, it allowed me to slow down and look at myself and look at what I really want to do and who I truly am and start admitting and being open and being proud of my label. And that's where I started, decided to eventually go on to the stigma-free society and speak about my journey because I want that kid in grade 10 to see someone who, who may, sorry, that kid in grade 10 who has a mental illness or has autism or whatever, to see, oh, I can do something in life. I don't have to be defined by what the label means. I can define the label. Right. And I think, yeah, in a lot of ways, COVID has helped people. Obviously, now when everyone is inside because of COVID, they're living with their, oftentimes not everyone, of course, but people are living with their families, if that's the case for some people. And they're surrounded by a positive social support network, people who don't judge. And I think that's important because, as you mentioned, when we spoke about stigma, as we go into the high schools, as we go into university or as we go elsewhere, that is when we start to experience stigma. So now the question becomes, as during, uh, during COVID, we have to reframe our identity. How do we want to approach these people the next time COVID restrictions allow us to go out into the public to those people and address the people who have these stigma toward us? And so I think, you know, the, by speaking publicly with stigma-free society and educating people, that's really important. And I wanted to ask you about that. And that is, what do you hope others take away from listening to your speeches? I want everyone to take away, I'm just a 21-year-old guy. I'm just a 21-year-old guy who wants to go out into the town, have a good time, act like a 21-year-old. And that's why I want them to take away. I don't want them to think anything of me. Just, I just want them to think I'm a regular human being. I think that's the most important thing you can say. Because I don't want people to patronize me. I don't want people making things easy on me just because I have a label. No, I want people to treat me like a human being, which I find a lot of people do, which is awesome. Like everyone at my work, they all treat me like human beings. We all joke around. We all roast each other like, and have banter. Like, but the thing is they treat me equal. They don't put, they aren't protective of me because of my label. And same thing with all my friends. They like me for me and everyone liked me for me. They don't like me because of autism. They go, they don't go, oh, Nathan, I don't really like you, but I'm going to pretend they like you because of autism. No, they like me for me and my personality. And I would be lying to you all on the podcast if I said I don't question myself on that sometimes, because sometimes I still worry that people like me for just the label and nothing else. But I have, as I said earlier, I have to challenge those beliefs. I have to challenge those, the story of thoughts and realize, to realize that people like me for me. Right. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, where you're speaking about uh, learning social developmental skills early at a young age. And the idea of, um, you know, the analogy used when you spoke about learning a new language, I like that. And I want to kind of 
really the next question with you by speaking about that. You know, oftentimes when someone's learning a new language, it can be long and a stressful process and difficult. And if they don't feel that they've learned or acquired the skills to speak that language uh, adequately, then they'll lack confidence and to speak that language to the local people or, or other people who speak that language. So why I'm bringing this up is that I, I want to ask you, where did you find the confidence to be as proud as you are today and truly own living with autism? I'll be honest with you all. It took me a long time to do that. I used to feel ashamed of who I was. I felt, oh, I was autistic, this weird autistic, uncoordinated, whatever negative label, that negative thing that can be associated with the label. But I found confidence because I forced, I went, you know what, this is who I am. You can't change the label. You can't take the label away. And I hate when people say, oh, you can cure autism or cure mental illness or whatever, because you can't. Of course, you can make life manageable, but you can, you, you can't take it away. And there's no, and the best quote I've heard is there is no finish line in mental health. And I'm going to add a paraphrase of in brackets of autism too. There's no finish line because if there was, it'd be really weird. Life would be really boring. Life would be, have no purpose. There wouldn't, there'd be no purpose to have fun with your friends. There'd be no purpose to have fun and be, uh, have a peer support worker. There'd be no purpose of therapists. So life is going to have challenges. And I even found that out yesterday when I had a lot of distorted thoughts, but I just have to say like, we're doing good. We're going to, there's going to be times where I just won't have it mentally. There's going to be times I misinterpret the world and there's still things I got to learn about. For example, the rules are shifting for me because when you're an adult, you don't get black and white rules as when you're in high school. In high school, you, you, you get told this is what's cool. This is what's not cool. But when adulthood, you don't get that. And that's been throwing me off a little bit because I think the rules are supposed to be black and white, but they're not. So I, that's where I get caught in the distorted thinking. And that's where I get caught comparing myself a whole lot. Because for example, someone's definition of friends could be different than my definition of what a friend means. So someone could say a friend means a coworker at work where they don't hang out with outside of work. But my definition of friends could be literal literal definite, literal friends, like I hang out with them. As you see in adulthood, the rules are shifting. And that's something I heavily struggle with still. I'm not perfect at it. But I have to work on the idea that rules are not set in place. The amount of times you text someone uh, could be different for different people. Right. And you spoke a lot about social comparison and, you know, our natural ability to want to compare ourselves to that of others. And I want to ask you, you know, individuals, it's easier said than done to, to own your mental health. And a lot of people may see you, uh, people who live with autism and say, Nathan, I mean, it's amazing what you're doing, but it's easier said than done. And I'm still struggling. What advice do you have to those people who are still struggling to own their mental health? Well, it's a process that takes a long time. It took me a long time. And I would be lying to you if I still said, I, if I said that, oh, my mental health is great and I'm perfect. No, I'm not perfect. I have distorted thoughts. I compare myself. I get really worked up. I mistranslate this world. I'm not perfect at all with my mental health. That's my advice I would say to all of you. And the reason why is if you have that advice, that if you listen to that advice, you, you take pressure off yourself. And I'm still working on taking pressure off myself, by the way. But it seriously takes pressure off yourself because what I used to do was I, would use, I used to think happiness meant that you were not stressed ever. So I would literally have, go two days being happy and then something stressful would come up because that's life. But I would think, oh, I failed. 
I failed. I'm starting again. But now I've reshaped the mindset of, nope, just didn't have it today. We're going to do good the next day. Oh, didn't have it this week. We'll we'll do we'll do good the next day. And it's always a progression. It's always you're always gonna have challenges and always gonna have things to learn, which I used to think was a horrible thing and used to think, oh, this is deflating. But now I think of it as an awesome thing because it's like if you never had challenges, life would be so boring. Right. And I I, I know you're a sports fan as I look in the background. I see some Canucks uh, posters, but um, often an analogy that I tell people as well is that you know life and sports are very similar in that way. And as you're saying, you know, you can have a bad day and that's that the, the, um, the idea that we take it one game or one day at a time is, is real. And it, and that's what I try and just say to people, you know, you're going to have your bad days, but if you take it one day at a time, then that one day doesn't have to be two weeks of having bad consecutive days. So really one day at a time and one bad day doesn't need to predict what the next day will look like for you. So that's important. Um, where I do want to go next with our conversation is speaking about the different strategies that you use in your life that help to enhance your mental health and overall well-being. So essentially, are there any hobbies that you have that help bring joy and happiness into your life and when it, and which improve your mental well-being? Yes, I'll be honest. During the pandemic, I kind of put, the, put as many self-care strategies as possible into my day. So I like to go on runs. I like to walk. I sometimes, if it's nice out, like to walk into this area where, forest area where it's a paved road, but it's in between two parts of the forest. And I actually like to take off my shoes and like just embrace the forest because it allows me to ground myself. So I like to do that. I like to hang out with my friends. I like to meditate sometimes. I like to go out to a coffee shop and treat myself. And all those examples you're talking, I'm talking about are a thing called pleasant events. And it's this idea where you try to fill up your social cup as much as you can, because truth is in a pandemic, it's hard. You cannot rely on people. And um, to be clear on the podcast for all of you, it's good to rely on people. You want to rely on your friends because you're friends and that's, and you want to be open with your friends, but sometimes your friends or whoever you're trying to rely on are not going to be there mentally physically or emotionally because of the pandemic because they could be dealing with financial stress they could be dealing with relationship stress they could be dealing with emotional stress they could be overwhelmed so you cannot rely on other people and i've been guilty of relying too much on other people because i would want my social hit because of the pandemic i would want my social hit i would want that hit to talk about something that was on my mind and when it didn't happen i was really really down on myself but i've been i actually got taught to fill my cup up with like going to a coffee shop, going on a run, texting a friend, make, make, maybe making a Facebook post and doing those type of things because you have to hold your end of the bargain. You have to hold your end of the bargain for self-love in this time because you cannot rely on other people because people have so much going on with this pandemic right now. And if you do rely on other people, you're not going to get enough appreciation, love, attention, whatever you want. Right. I do want to also ask you, you know, a lot of people will say that that they struggle to find a hobby, a lot to do with the stigma that they face. People with living with autism may say, again, that I that I will not enjoy playing sports because I feel targeted or people are making comments that upset me or affect how I think of myself and and affect my mental health. So I guess my question for you would be is what would you say to people who struggle to find a hobby or passion that they enjoy doing? I would say to be patient, 
I would say to be patient and find something. I got lucky and to find running and walking and all those things. But I would say to be patient because it's not easy to find a hobby for everyone. And it's hard, especially during the pandemic when different regions have different areas closed and different restrictions. So yeah, I would say to be patient. And I'm not totally sure how to answer it the best. So that's how I'm going to answer it. No, that's, that's a great answer. I do. The next question requires a bit of self-reflection for you. And that is, I'd like to ask you if there is one thing that you have learned about yourself along your journey of speaking out and helping others who face stigma. Wow. That's a really good, really good question. So I'm just really thinking about the way to describe a good answer for everyone. That's okay. I didn't mean to put you too much on the spot, but I know it's, it's kind of a deeper question and it requires a bit of thinking, but take your time. I've learned that you have to love yourself. I've learned how you have to be okay with yourself because if you're not okay with it yourself, how do you expect other people to be okay with you and love you? And I've been applying that idea late, trying to apply that idea because I realize, and I've been told that idea because if you, as I say, don't love yourself, how do you expect others to love you? And I've been trying to seek, seek more positive things and I've been learning how to be better of a person and more accepting of a person of other types of stereotypes that may be out there for other different types of things and mental illnesses and other different types of things. Um, I've also just learned to be grateful for things, like grateful for everything. And yes, two days ago at work, I literally spent a, a couple minutes on my shift looking at the view of the city from my work. I took a breath, deep breath, and I looked around at the flowers, I looked around at the beautiful skyscraper, skyscrapers downtown kind of thing. But being grateful for everything makes you a lot happier of a person, I find. It makes me think, wow, I'm lucky to have a job during the pandemic right now, where I get to be outside, I get to be with all my all awesome people. I get to be in an environment where we get to joke around. I get to be socializing all day, which is a privilege right now during the pandemic. I also I understand gratitude of living with my family. I understand gratitude of my friends and my therapist and where I am. So that's something I've also really worked on. And finally, I've worked on using cognitive strategies to challenge thoughts and things. Because truth is, there's going to still be distorted thoughts that come. They're not going to go away. I used to think they would, but they won't. So when I can have the ability to challenge my thoughts, it makes things manageable. And as I gave the example about yesterday, I had to challenge my thoughts. And if I asked for like support or whatever from other people, they, ha they helped me with the challenging of the thoughts. And even my boss at work asked me one time, I, I was questioning whether he liked me and whether my staff liked me. He asked me the question of, how long have you worked here, Nathan? Something along those lines, basically. And what, that said, what I'm saying is that he asked me that logical question which, which I wouldn't see, but it was logical enough for my brain to connect the dots and go, oh, I've worked here three years. Oh, they like me. So those are the things I've learned about myself. And just going back, I think that's such a powerful message. And, and I think that a lot of people need to understand that you have to love yourself. And I, and I want to bring it back to that point, the idea that you, you talk about internal stigma and the only way that we can really overcome internal stigma is to first begin by loving ourselves and, and stop worrying about what other people think of ourselves. Because if we can love ourselves, then we can accomplish whatever we put our mind to. And that's exactly what you're doing. So um, I congratulate you for all the work you're doing. And I'm really inspired. And I want to say thank you so much for joining me. 
Um, it, it was a pleasure speaking to you, and I appreciate how open and honest you were today. It's, again, really inspiring the work you're doing, and I hope that you continue to do that because you're making a difference in people's lives, and those who are listening to this podcast really applaud you for all the work you're doing. So, Nathan, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in and listening to episode 14 of the podcast Own It featuring Nathan Learman. Follow Own It underscore podcast on Instagram and stay tuned for more episodes.